Welcome to SkillsUSA's podcast. The following was recorded on September 16, 2006, during the opening session of the Washington Leadership Training Institute. The speaker, Albert A. Frick, Assistant Secretary, U.S. Department of Commerce. It doesn't get any better than that. Standing ovation. Well, in conclusion, I want to thank all of you for having me here. Your own potential. 
You know, as, uh, as I graduated from high school, I started, I went back to my class reunion and I saw the differences in where so many people were and where I came from. And uh, well, going back before high school and high school, I think uh, I was born and voted most likely to fail. I had uh, probably not, well, I had not done very well in uh, my scholastic endeavor. I was not very good with the ladies, and I wasn't that good in sports. I, the part I hated most was the lady portion. But I had, I also took part-time jobs growing up, and one of them was delivering papers. And I remember in delivering papers, we were also obligated to go out and get new subscriptions. And when I did that, I did it at dinner time, because that's when you were catching both your mother and father home. But that's also when it's the most irritating. And people would slam doors on me all the time. That door slamming and how I came, overcame that taught me to overcome rejection. I really looked at that as an opportunity. And after a while, I started anticipating the door was going to slam on me. I started to have a little bit of a line that would kind of defuse that anger. Like, I know I'm interrupting your dinner, and I'm so sorry, and I got into this pitch. And I found in a very short time I was actually making more money selling new subscriptions than I was delivering the papers. And the reason I did that is because we had prizes. We would get prizes for new subscriptions, and I started, I, I, I got all the prizes that were in the book, so I started selling them to friends. It didn't happen. So I started a little second business. And I realized back then I was a bit of an entrepreneur. As I took that rejection experience and took it into high school, and as I said, I wasn't that good in my scholastics, and I wasn't good in those two other areas I mentioned. As I came back in my 10-year reunion, I was the second most successful person in my school, and I was trying to figure out what it was that separated me from them, those who were perfectly in line to be stars, and yet at that stage, I had exceeded most of them. And it came down to the fact that all that experience and failure and rejection taught me to learn from it and live with it. I was an expert on failure and rejection. I was not very familiar with success. So what I had going for me was I wasn't afraid to take risks. The defining difference between me and so many people I've encountered from that time to this day is my willingness to take a risk. And I haven't lost that. When I was recruited for this position in 2002, I had a company of 30 years. And I told you, just won the SBA award. When I was asked by, through the president's office, and I was interviewed to take this job, the first time I got asked was in uh, November of 03, and I turned it down. It did concern me to leave my company of 30 years and take a full-time job in Washington. I had no experience in that area. I got asked the same question three, four months later, and I ended up changing my mind. I got the company that I sold my company to to release me out of an agreement to stay for another year. I got them to release me, and I took the job and stepped into a position as the first assistant secretary for manufacturing services in America, which was wonderful. But I did this in April of 04. Six months later, the president was in a race. If he'd have lost that race, I'd have been out of a job. I did all that because I'm a risk taker. I somehow felt in my heart of hearts that it was going to happen, and that was what I was destined to do, and fortunately I was right. I was, the president did get reelected. I did get the chance to get my position. But it just goes to show that risk-taking should be something that you get into your DNA. It's not just part of what you do. It's, it's, it's part of what you take with you the rest of your life. 
So I wanted that message to get across to you. I, I have some other things that I thought I should also convey to you as some of my personal life, and that is my father believed in education, something that all of you have, and you have skills that I have seen, not seen the likes of which until I met the folks from Skills USA. You're the best prepared group of people I've ever seen to step into the workforce. And by the way, you're stepping... Uh, 
many people actually haven't identified what defines their success and failure. There's a lot of emphasis on companies lowering costs. I would have succeeded in California on lowering costs. I spent most of my time on raising value and building a brand that stood for something. My company, I left it, had the best brand for quality in the United States as a carpet company. I think all of you, in a way, are a brand. Your personal self, your name, what you are, you are a brand. You need to market yourself from the beginning to the all through your career. Some of the defining differences between success and failure is how you are able to brand yourself. Brand is very much like a friendship. When you think of a brand, think of a friend. What do you think of when you think of a friend? Somebody who uh, you can trust, somebody who's dependable, somebody who's there when you need them. Those are all the qualities that a good brand has. And you know what? America has the best brand in the world. There is no country at all that has more regulations, the highest standards, the most protection for our consumers than anywhere in the world at the USA. If you buy an American product, it has, it has got the best quality control built into it. Now it comes at a price. We're not the cheapest manufacturer in the world. We need to, we need to know we're not going to be the cheapest. We need to be added value. We have to talk about how we differentiate. And that's innovation. Innovation is what I think is in our DNA. It's in the Secretary of Commerce's DNA. He believes it's in America's DNA. That's what we do better than anywhere else. You ought to see our patents. Patents are the the idea of protection for all new ideas. If you look at the scale, if you go to the, the, the our, our patent office in Washington, you look at the country's patent graph, and it's going it's going up, and you see that the U.S. is going like a plane taking off. We have innovation, the likes of which you have not seen, and that's our strength. What is not our strength anymore is building things cheaply. We cannot be a fast food successful country. We can in the food sector, but in terms of products that are made, there's going to be countries that can make them cheaper, faster, and that is not a bad thing. We just have to play to our strengths, and our strengths are based on innovation and how we differentiate. I would strongly urge that all of you, at some point in your career, think from the moment you step into it, I want to own my own business. It is what I thought of from the very beginning. You can certainly go to work for somebody, and that is not a problem. We need folks to do that. But in, in a sense, even when you work for somebody, you own your own business. You take ownership in what you do. And if I can give you another word of advice, no matter what you do, exceed the expectation of whatever is asked. If somebody says, bring me two of these, bring three. You want quality standard? Exceed it. The message I have in my office at the Department of Commerce is exceed your expectations. I built a company that built a product that was the best in the world. We looked at every style we brought out. If it did not exceed anything else out that it would compete against, then we didn't do it. And we never looked at price as the reason for it. We looked at how we could style something, how we could make it better quality. But it comes at a price. We were not the cheapest. That's okay. My dad gave me a great lesson when I was a kid. I said, Dad, I said, you see when you spent a lot of money for products, and he was a blue-collar boundary worker. I'm thinking, how do, you, how do you afford these things? He said, some only rich people can afford cheap products. Of course, I had to ask him what he meant, and he told me that he, they can afford to replace them more often. That was a message I took with me in my life, and so I think that we should always be looking at having the best quality. You should be the best of the best in anything you try to do. If you're building a business, be the best of the best. 
and uh, set your goals there, exceed expectations. These are the metrics. People say, well, how do you be successful? These are the formulas I use. Taking risks, building quality, build your brand. You are a brand. Be trustworthy, be honest, build a great product. You know, if, you're, if you build a good brand, it's because you're trustworthy, you're dependable, you exceed expectations. These are qualities that are endearing. They will never change throughout any course in history. It will always be a buyer for people that have those qualities or build products to that standard. So I encourage you to be moving in that direction. I'm, uh, I, I think you have all the tools. You're better equipped than I was when, you, when I started out. And I think that that's going to bode well for you as you go forward. You're going to enter into the best work time in American history. There are, when I stepped in this position, I heard so many things about jobs going offshore, jobs going away. They're going to go to China, go somewhere else. You know what I find when I travel around the country? Help on its signs. Everywhere. I've never seen it like it is right now. Every manufacturer, every company, from technology to small shops, say, I can't find enough qualified workers. There are a lot of folks that uh, think manufacturing, for example, is a dead-end job. Maybe the parents think it is. They think of the old, bad reputation, smoky, billowy stacks of soot going out of the company, the factory, polluting rivers, polluting lakes. Get over it. It's gone. It's been, it's been around for years. You could run the, mach the machinery today for manufacturing, you could run a suit. It is so clean, so high-tech, and it is not dirty. And guess what? The average income of a factory worker today is greater than that of an attorney. Average attorneys coming out of factories, they're out of the factories of, <laughs> of uh, education, are making about 60000 a year. Caterpillars, factory workers, are making around 90000 And up. Uh, it is, uh, and by the way, if anybody thought those jobs were going away, we have a baby boomer society, which you may have heard of. It's, it's uh, expected in the next 10 years that we're going to lose 70 million workers. We have about an estimation of 40 million in the pipeline. Nobody knows where we're going to find that 30. Guess what? You guys are going to be at a premium. You're going to be among the most highly paid, if you're qualified, of any workforce ever because you have a tremendous there's a tremendous shortage of qualified help. You're in the right place at the right time, and you're the best equipped to be able to succeed. Your generation, uh, everybody thinks their generation was, was perhaps the best, hardest workers, yada, yada, yada. You know what? That's because they're just, they were in it. You have technical skills, computer station skills. You have, and I trust your motivation because you all want a good standard of living. You'll work hard enough to get it. Because you want it, you're used to it, you'll demand it. You'll put in the time that's necessary. America's the hardest workers in the world. We take fewer vacations, which I don't know if it's a good thing or not. But we are the hardest workers of any any country in the world, especially for the advanced countries. Because we, we, we want to do well, we want to exceed. And I think that's what that's part also part of our DNA. We're very competitive. We don't like losing. Some people think we're losing when these things happen and we've got foreign competition. You know what? We need the competition to bring out our best. We do our best work when our backs are against the wall. Well, China and some of these other countries are evolving, and they're making it seem like we're going to be worried about what we are able to compete with in the future. But I'll tell you what, I would want to compete against us if I was outside looking in. I think they just underestimate We underestimate ourselves. We're too close to ourselves. Our, our people we do, that we're competing against, that we're worried about, are looking at us and, and, and how are they ever going to catch up with the U.S.? But we can't sit on our 
keysters and let that happen without being competitive, I don't think we will because I think the people like yourself are going to be that defining difference. So uh, there's a lot of what I consider optimism for what I, can, what I see in the future. There's also a lot of uh, effort in government to help support that. We just got a, uh, the Perkins Act was just passed. It's one of the recommendations. My job came from a... billion dollars and actually the president in his state of the union introduced a new program called ACI because everything's an acronym in Washington it's called American Competitive Competitiveness Competitive Damper start to work the way down no I have all my teeth you guys hear me over there all right American Competitiveness Initiative ACI it's actually a program to fund what is needed in the future. It's about research and development. There's $136 billion that's proposed. That's the greatest amount in the history of America because the president truly understands that research and development is where innovation is going to come from. And guess what's attached to innovation? Education. So he has a huge component of education attached to that. We, have, we recognize that we need to put more effort on a federal and state level to improve education. You have it, others need it. And we need to get uh, do a better job of getting our workforce prepared. The one thing I am concerned about against the world competition is our ability to compete education-wise. Not in this world, but I know in a lot of places where that's not the case. Even though it was not in my job category, it was not really my specific project at uh, Manufacturing Services, I've made my number one priority education. Partly because my dad told me no matter what I accomplished in life, I would be better off if I got my degree, and I didn't do it. I left college short of my degree. That's terrible, and yet I have accomplished a great deal, so I would not recommend that. I was lucky. I wouldn't want to gamble on luck if I did it again. On the other hand, I turned that failure to live up to my dad's explanation into extra hard work. I have been a workhorse all my life. I've always felt that if I couldn't outsell or outsmart my competition, I could outwork the son of a gun. I cleaned that up for you. But I believe in hard work. I believe in a lot of that's perseverance, diligence, and I certainly needed it in this job in Washington. It's a very trying, taxing job. That I didn't think about it until somebody asked me about the job on the way in here, and I suddenly realized it's much like playing golf. You can never master it. You just have great days sometimes and think you're going to turn pro, and the next day you realize you're a ranked amateur. It's very much a demanding up one day, down one day, but I tell you, it is, it is an incredible position. But even with this position, even though I ran a hugely successful company that won awards, my dad probably looking down, he's saying, yes, but you did complete your college degree. And you know what, I just encourage that you you choose to make, make sure you're equipped the best way possible and an education is your advantage. And uh, don't gamble on the luck that I had. Um, there's a lot of funds out there that the president put in place to help that because I, I think all of us know and realize in government. Emily DeRogo, who was up on that screen earlier, who made that statement, she's at my level over the Department of Labor. We're, she's my best friend in government. We're working together to constantly to put together workforce development. I give her feedback from what I see as a manufacturer. 
she tells me what she's doing, and she's putting together a blueprint that can be used around the country so that any community who's having trouble developing workforce, she knows that it's going to, we've talked about it, you need to get parents involved, you need to get academia involved, you need to get the, the industry involved, and you need to get the community involved. You need all four of them. And so I've asked her to put together a blueprint that you can go to any community in the United States and say, okay, this is how you could get it done. There's a section in here that will work for you. It may not be perfect, but it's, the, it's got more than you can imagine that will help you get to where you need to be. No one's ever done that, and she's working. So as I say, it's, it's fortifying the, the passion I have for education, and it's, 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 it's something that between education, innovation, all of these are because I believe in the importance of added value. Remember that term you'll hear the rest of your life. It's adding value. What you've done for yourself is you've added value to yourself. The people that don't have your skills do not have as much value as you're going to be able to provide. You have so much that companies would want to hire because of that training that you have. And, uh, it's, what I, it's really what made my companies, again, successful in California, is don't think about lowering your standard of living. Think about raising your value. So these are things that I believe are what I found to be the most important things that have driven my personal uh, self, the, the lack of, the, I think, the lack of fear of taking a risk. I would not be afraid to take a risk today, even though I might lose everything. I know and confident enough and somehow start over and make it again. I just believe that's the attitude you should always have. Don't be stupid about it. Be very thoughtful, be very calculating, plan, but don't be afraid to take risks, believe in yourself. This job is, uh, is an incredible honor, it's a credible demand, but it has its many rewards and one of which is being able to meet and address folks like yourself. It is uh, It'll be, I'll be working to lay the groundwork for the next, next Assistant Secretary of Commerce, and I'm going to put in my recommendation when I leave that that individual take the time to come and visit and speak before you. And when I do move on, I would be welcome and happy to come back and address you again. So uh, I, I will just finish by saying that I believe that if we can, if we can unleash the, the, the potential of America, that your talent, your your capabilities, your spirit of achievement will continue to make this country the absolute marvel of the world. And we are just that. USA is the marvel of the world. We have 25 in the world, and it is a position that we will not give up if you passionately believe in what you are. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from SkillsUSA. We'd love to hear what you think about it and any suggestions you might have for future programs. So please send us an email at anyinfo at skillsusa.org. We'd love to hear from you.